Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Welfare Gang, and welcome to this bonus mini-series of Run Chats. Over the next five weeks, I'm heading out on a 5K with a group of inspirational women. We'll talk running, marathons, motherhood, and finding motivation when the winds are whipping and the temperature is tepid. It's all made possible by this season's sponsor, Brooks. They believe every day with a run is a better day because running fuels happiness and optimism. And it's true. Over the years, running has changed my outlook and helps me see the world around me in a better light. So I couldn't be happier to be partnering with Brooks on this bonus series. Okay, guys, I am back for another run chat. Today, I'm running with Paula Radcliffe. Over her long career, she's been European and world champion, won the London Marathon three times, held the world record for incredible 16 years before it was broken last year. Despite retiring from professional running, Paula still runs every day and is passionate about getting more people doing it too. This year, she'll be at the UK running festival, Runfest Run. There's so much to talk about. So let's get stuck in. Let's get going. Let's get going. (laughs) Paula, I can't believe this moment is happening, actually, because you were actually part of... The reason which I took up running, because a couple of years ago, um, I'm not sure if you remember, actually it was more than a couple of years ago, I did a Nike 10K in Sweden, and you actually paced the last couple of kilometres. (laughs) No, I remember that. It was a great race, actually, wasn't it? It was a lovely course. It was that moment for me that really sparked joy and got me into running. But I'd love to know, where did your running career start what was that big moment that you thought god I really want to run it's funny I don't think I don't actually remember a time when I wasn't running around um so I don't remember having that eureka moment when I discovered it but I guess because when I started there weren't that many different sports to pick from as a kid like there are today and my dad was running so I just used to join in for little bits with him and I just really liked the way it made me feel. And I was only six at the time. Wow. Um, so I would just run around with him little bits at the weekends, probably, I don't know, max half a mile. Um, we'd go to give him drinks. He was getting ready for a couple of Mersey marathons and London marathons at the time. And then um, he took me along to a local athletics club when I was nine. And that happened to be a club called Frodsham Harriers, uh, which was... <laughs> where George Bonner, who invented sports hall athletics, was because we didn't have a track we could use in the winter. So we were in the sports hall, and he then kind of came up with the idea of the turnaround boards and everything that's part of sports hall athletics. So for me, it was just a social, fun thing. Tried all different events, but wasn't any good at anything apart from running. (laughs) And didn't, didn't enjoy the others as much as running either. And then it was just a really gradual progression so there wasn't really a moment where I thought I'm going to make a career out of this either it was just when I won 
the World Junior Cross Country in 92 in Boston. I was just coming up to doing my A-levels. So, so were then, you about 17 at that point? Um, I was 18 then. 18. And I was just, I was about to go away to university. And I just thought, right, okay, I'll take four years at university because I was doing languages, work really hard and see if by the end of that maybe I could give it a go as a professional athlete and um, was luckily able to do that. (laughs) And how did you manage training during that time with studying? Because I think for the people listening into Welfare, one of the big things is finding that balance between your normal life and your running life. And obviously... You would, yeah. I think the two balanced each other really well. I really. I found that actually, if I was trying to get a break, needed a break from studying, it was great to get out for a run. It also helped me to work out things in my head if I was having to write an essay or solve problems or something like that. If I went for a run, I found I could think better and more clearly. So I think it actually helped me balance the studying better. Um, So was it? that sounds like you've always been kind of aware of like the mental boons of running as much as yeah I think yeah I, I think um you just gradually become aware of it as a runner I don't think you think about it as oh I'm getting into this for something for my mental health but you all we all know that it makes you feel better yeah it makes you feel a bit more alive makes you feel like maybe a nicer person for the rest of the day um so i think the mental benefits are huge at all levels just to get out and get some fresh air and just to find it doesn't have to be running for everyone but just to find that sport that you enjoy and makes you feel better and it helps you just to put things in perspective i think and i run in a beautiful morning like this yeah you kind of look around and think actually I'm really lucky to be able to do this. Oh my gosh, I mean, I'm feeling like the luckiest person ever right now. <laughs> and, and I suppose back then, there wasn't all the, the tech and the watches. So going out for a run, yeah. even though I suppose you could time yourself, you were more in tune with the run perhaps? Yes, than... and I think that's a big factor. That today I think athletes just need to be a little bit mindful of is yes all the technology is good and it gives you all this feedback and all this data but don't lose sight of the fact that you have to be able to tune into your own body your own instincts and know intuitively that pace that you can hold to the end and the only way you learn that is by doing it in training getting it wrong a few times and kind of learning to do that but if you've got a gadget or a watch or something that's always telling you that you don't learn to tune into it so true and can we talk about the first time that you really tuned in? So I believe that was the 2002, was your marathon debut. Yeah. I mean, that was an amazing memory for me. Um, Does it still feel like yesterday? Or? It doesn't feel that long ago at really? all. And then I think, oh my God, so much in my life, all the kids, everything's happened since then. Um, but it actually it also feels like yesterday. But um, so if I go back to the first time that I watched the London Marathon... And I saw Ingrid Christensen running and that ever since then, the London Marathon had been a goal of mine that I wanted to run and I wanted it to go well. And um, all of the physiologists would look at the stats and the data and would say to me, yep, you're going to be a good marathon runner. But you never really know with a marathon until you actually do one. Yeah. So I think I thought I could be good and I really wanted to do it. 
But I also went into that first one with a little bit of, let's just have a go and see. There's not really any pressure on if I get it wrong or if I screw it up. It's the first time. Um, but I'll just really enjoy it and see if I can be any good at it. And I actually loved the race from the minute it started. The atmosphere That's of amazing. being in the marathon. I wasn't really thinking about pace at all. I was just enjoying it. And it went really well. And it was only when I turned into the mall and I saw the clock and I thought, the world record's around about that. And I'd actually run really quick in the second half just because I was enjoying it and not thinking about times particularly. But I knew then that I could get the world record the next time. So it was a huge thing for me to A, find that I actually was good at it, but B, find that I really loved it and I wanted to do much more of it. And during that race, you obviously said that you were really enjoying it. Did you have like a game plan at all for attacking the marathon? Or was it like you've just said that you literally went out and just ran? Um, that first one was really just to enjoy it and to try okay. and do what I could to win the race. Um, in later ones, I had a very much a game plan. But... I don't think you can have too strict a game plan in the marathon because the, the marathon's kind of special and you have to be able to adapt to what's happening as, as it's happening. And if you go in with too rigid a plan and something else happens within the race, be it on the course or weather-wise or from your opponent, you have to be able to adapt to it. So that first one definitely was just run. Actually, I was supposed to run with the leaders till halfway, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> and then just see what I could do from there. But I went through the Cutty Sark and the crowds were so loud and so amazing that I didn't even realise I had a gap. And when I came out the other side, I must have subconsciously picked up the pace because of the atmosphere. And um, I had a lead. And my dad always used to say to me when I was a kid, once you've got a lead, don't look back, just keep going. Just keep going. So I said, OK, it's only seven miles, but I'll just keep going. It's funny, isn't it, when you have that realisation because I had that at Paris Marathon last year and I'd, I'd gone out just to run because my training hadn't gone to plan and then I suddenly phoned my now husband at 15 kilometres and I was like, I'm flying! And then he was like, well, just hold on for as long as you can! Yeah, just keep and, going. And that's what so I, I did. That that's was... the, the fear thing is people are running too control to a plan and like you say, you're having a great day, you're flying. Yeah. You're not going to slow down. Just keep going and ride it as long as it's going to go. And you can get to the end. Yeah. And so after that race, when after 2002, when you realised that actually the world record was, was it 2.18 at the time? It was 2.18, I think, sorry. It was 2.18.47. I ran 56. So you were like, yeah. I can so beat this. nine seconds away without even knowing. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I thought... I can get this the next time. So then we immediately pretty much started talking to Kerry Pinkowski, the race director of Chicago Marathon, about going over there in October and then went away for training for the summer championships, so Commonwealth Games and the European Championships first. But everything was kind of looking also towards Chicago. And I think the real the confidence of that marathon having gone so well. And it really felt like I'd found my event. It helped me to run better on the track. So everyone had said, 
you kind of run as well as you can on the track and then move to the marathon. Yeah. So I thought I'd done that, but actually pretty much all of my PBs were quicker after I'd moved to the marathon. Because for me, I think it was the two things of confidence and just added strength and endurance, mentally and physically. So did you change anything in your training? Did you add anything in that um, you hadn't been doing? Not really, no. I mean, obviously the long run got longer. Yeah. Um, track sessions pretty much stayed the same. 10K, I never really went longer than a 12K track session. Um, and the road trail session became more of a road session in that build-up. Um, but uh, nothing much really changed. So the mileage crept up, I guess, because the tempo run went a little bit longer too in the week but the general plan of the week was pretty much the same do you know how many miles a week you were running at that well, time again because i didn't have a watch like garments didn't exist yeah. that measured it so i did but i only started working it out because journalists kept asking me how many miles a week you oh, really? so i really like, better work it out so um i started writing it down in my training schedule and adding it up but it was honestly more of a a guesstimate so when I used to say, I mean, I think the highest I ever hit was 151. Wow. And the, low, the average would have been around about 130. But I used to train the seven-day block and then the eighth day was a rest day. So that was my seven-day week. If you added in the rest day into the average, it came much lower. Yeah. And it's now been five years since you've retired from competitive running are you still always on a training plan no no not at all and actually I think I've surprised myself there and probably a lot of people who knew me before because I've actually adapted to it really well and I I get out and run every day because I think I feel better I'm happier for the rest of the day I can be more productive for the rest of the day um, but it's no plan at all. I don't even start my watch. You just go I just out. go out, I look what time I have to be back, and I just go out and run, and run whatever I feel like doing. So sometimes if I'm with the kids, I will do a bit of a fart, like a bit of a training session. Oh, I've or sometimes on my own, I will just pick it up and go quicker. Um, just to kind of get that feeling again of working hard with your body. But it's not like, if, equally if I'm feeling tired, I'll just jog. Um, so the structure of it really isn't there and I think a lot of that came from the fact that it was that foot injury that ended my career so for nine months I couldn't run and so then I just really appreciated the fact I could just run didn't matter how fast or what I was actually doing with it just to get out and run I just really appreciated a lot of people talk about the mental pain of injury as opposed to the physical pain did you feel I think that? That's very true. Yeah, it's just, just the mental feeling of helplessness. Um, and maybe it's because as an athlete, you're used to be able to, to train, to make your body do things, to kind of work with your body. And then when you're injured, no matter what you try and do, you can't rush it. You have to just wait for your body to heal. So it is that feeling of helplessness, I think. And at the same time, just really wanting to go out. And you, I don't know, but I was used to notice everyone who could run when I couldn't run. So I'd be driving to the gym to cross trade, looking out, thinking, well, that's not fair. Why is that person? Their style's terrible. How come they're not injured? 
and um, it kind of you just feel like everyone can run but you. Um, and so, so I think it's important to go through the different techniques then mentally to help you stay positive, do what you can to to beat the injury. And did you and pick up? Back. Did you pick up any um, mindfulness techniques during that time? Yeah, I mean or? it's never easy, and that's what I say to athletes now when they're injured. It's not like no one's saying it's easy. It's a horrible time and it sucks and it is unfair. But you kind of have to just believe that you're going to come through it and that you're going to be back running and think about what you're going to do, plan for what you're going to do when you are able to get back racing and running again. And then do everything, all that energy that you would have put into running, put that into trying to cross-train, icing, whatever you can do, physio, to, to get over the injury, looking at your diet, everything you had a mobility scooter didn't you <laughs> during that injury time yeah well it was kind of um it wasn't a motorized one oh, okay it was um more like a they called it a knee scooter and so it was, like, it was really heavy um but it had a padded seat that you knelt down on for my injured foot and then you just pushed with the other one. Oh, um okay but monica's really heavy and it was actually bloody hard work going everywhere on that. But what I used to do was go and pick my daughter up from school. And um, I used to be able to swim in the sea. So I had like a sock thing I could put over the contraption I had in my foot to help it heal and get into the sea and swim. So we used to head down to the beach with a surfboard and the inflatables all on the back of this scooter. And she used to sit along the... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. On the front of it, in front of my knee, and we head down there. So it was actually, I mean, we kind of made it work. But again, there, I think if I hadn't been able to get into the sea and aqua jog, it would have been much harder and it might, would actually have taken me longer to heal. The Welfare Run Chats are brought to you by running experts Brooks, whose goal is to inspire everyone to run their path to a better self. Running has really helped me through some tough times, but running has also been tough at times. You can really tell with the Brooks gear that they care, taking the small irritations, like sore toes and chafing, out of the equation through brilliant engineering. I've been running in their reflective jacket that fits just right, neither too tight nor too roomy. Now, on with the show. One of the things you've just mentioned, Paula, on your coming back from injury was being out and being active with the kids. Yeah. And I know that's a big passion of yours. Yeah, definitely. And that's where, I guess, the idea 
of families on track came from. I mean, I always think that sharing something that you love with the people that you love is kind of the best feeling. And so if I go for a run with the kids, I really enjoy that. I see them come back a little bit brighter, a little bit more energetic. And then about six, seven years ago, I did a local run, relay run with my daughter. So she ran, I think she ran one and a half K. Somebody else ran one and a half K and then I ran seven K. And um, when she finished, she said, Mom, we should do this more. We should do more of a, a relay as a family. And so then I started to think about how I could make that work. And my original idea was like an Ekiden as a family. But then I thought, no, you can't do that because you can't leave the kids abandoned at some point <laughs> along the route. So then we started talking about going through a changeover zone. And then I started talking to Steve Cram about it and Alison. And uh, they said, well, we'd love to put that on at one of our events. So we planned it out a little bit more. And then they put it on up in Durham last year. And it was a really great day. Everybody loved it. It was great to see all the families out there having fun. My dad came, so my dad hasn't run for probably about five years. And he went back and did a bit of training, came out, and he ran two 250 metre um, legs for our team. And what and was it was the, just really nice. What was the total distance you were all trying to do? Can you explain the so mechanics? So each family accumulates 10k, and it's not a race per se, because obviously you've got lots of different abilities and ages of all of the kids. So you have a central changeover zone where all the teams had their own little pen and they could decorate that with their own tally board. And then we had a 250-metre loop, 500-metre loop and a 1K loop. And there's a limit on the number of any one loop that you can run, just so that you don't just knock off, repeat yeah. 250 metres or repeat Ks and get finished too soon. Um, but otherwise, you run however you want to. You get a different coloured ball at the end of each lap, throw that in your team basket, add up your score as you're going along, and when you've done 10K, everybody picks up their basket of balls and runs through the finish line together and gets their little goodie bag and hopefully goes home. The idea being, having spent some quality family time together, had fun exercising, and people, parents came up to me and said, we haven't run for 10 years, and we really had so much fun doing that with our kids, so we want to come back next year. And that, I think, is the... The most rewarding is that you see people discovering, spending time, quality sports time with the kids and as a family and enjoying it. And hopefully that leads on to maybe a weekly habit that gets everybody more physically active and healthier and enjoying it more. Which is really important because there's some new research which has come out, which is terrifying yeah. about how little children are moving it is it's, it's really short I mean as a parent of a, a teenage girl now and a son as well the fact that what is it something like 87% of 13 to 18 year olds are not meeting the WHO requirements for physical activity which are nothing it's like 20 minutes of moderate walking exercise twice or three times a week it's, it's shocking when you think that kids actually want to move yeah. And when you see young kids in the playground or just out in the parks, they're, they're running around and they're actively having fun. And all the research that shows as well that kids do better at school, they go on to earn more, they go on to be healthier mentally. 
if they take part in enough physical activity. It doesn't have to be an elite level, it's just at an active level to be healthy. Just moving. Yeah. And so this year, you're taking your track to Runfest Run. Yeah, we're taking the families on track, track. to Runfest Run, which is really exciting. We, um, we all went to Runfest Run last year and had a brilliant time. Kids absolutely loved it. My son was discovering races I didn't even know were on. And um, they were up on the stage with the music. Really great weekend. And so then this year, Runfest are taking three families on track events on the Saturday. So, yeah, my kids did say to me, do we have to run all three as well as everything else? <laughs> I said, no, I'll do all three, but you, you can just do one of them. Um, but it is it's great that they're doing that so people can sign up because the concept of it means that if you've got, say you've got 100 teams, you've actually got 500 people out there at one time. So we can't have huge numbers. It doesn't work as a kind of a huge logistics, but we can run different events through the day and then everybody gets a chance to come along and take part in it. And so for everyone that's listening in that hasn't heard of Runfest Run, it's a three-day running festival taking place this year in May. Yeah. Uh, 22nd to 25th, I believe. And yes. Yes, I will put the link in the show notes. So if you want to go and you want to take part, you can click that link. Yeah, so Windsor Great Park. Windsor Great and Park. And it kicks off uh, on the evening. There's a, on the Friday evening... There's a sunset shuffle, I think it's about two, three kilometres, and then there's a 5k night run. So, but in between that, there's a whole music set on stage. So everybody relaxes, enjoys themselves there. Then we put on head torches, glow sticks, and head out for a 5k run, which was excellent fun. The kids loved it. And then um, the next day, starts off, I think, with a half marathon, then going into a 5k, a 10k later in the day, and I think there's a 3k... Um, push chair or wheelchair event in the afternoon I think if I've got that right and then another 5k fun run in the evening that's optional plus the family's on track on there and then on the final day there is the kind of climax event which last year was a treasure hunt run um, I don't actually know what that is it's this year so that's going to be exciting, <laughs> exciting to, to, to find that out and then just lots of different um, booths inspirational motivational tents talks and then all the music on stage so just a great festival weekend what i love about the fact that you're doing that with families now is the fact that it all goes back to when you became a mother your running career didn't stop yeah it changed a bit but nine months after having your first child you went on to run uh, went on to win new york marathon is that right? Yes, that's right, yeah. Isla was born in... So Isla was born the 17th of January and on November the 5th, I think it was that year, I um, won New York. How, how has running changed since having a baby? Did you find that your, your body changed? Yes, I think it does, but not, not hugely. I mean, I still felt like exactly the same person, but maybe with a little bit more stamina... Okay. A little bit more strength and also just happier. And for me, if I'm happier, I run better. So I think those came together. I was also very, very lucky in that my extended family, parents, little parents, husband, did a lot so that I could get back to running and still spend a lot of quality time with um, the kids, which, again, is the advantage of my job being what it is. Yes. Yeah. 
it's kind of, there's not many people have that luxury of being able to fit a full-time career around spending as much time in the day with the kids as I was able to do. I mean, there still are those times when you've got to go out for a run and they're clinging onto your leg and they don't want you to go out the door and it's still quite hard, but it's usually only for an hour or two and then you're coming back. Did you have to do more strength work or um, physio? Yeah. I had to do... Well, you had to, I had to learn a lot more about the types of training you can do, first of all, through the pregnancy, like what sort of weights training, what sort of actual running training is okay to do and good for the baby. Uh, and there, I was really lucky. I got some very good advice about basically, I mean, it's basically staying hydrated, not letting your core temperature go too high and not working more than 85% of your VO2 max, which is actually quite high. Yeah. So when you're already tired from pregnancy, and the minute you find out you're pregnant, your priorities switch anyway to doing the best thing for the baby. And actually, that is exercising. It's a lot more healthier than sitting on the couch eating just loads of ice cream for two, isn't it? Yes. And, um, but sometimes that's not the general feedback you get back from the public on a daily basis. So that was quite hard. People would judge you for going out for a run, pregnant, when actually it was very well supported through my doc- by my doctors throughout. And did you just shut those comments off or did they play on your mind? Um, I think, again, I was lucky there in that with Isla, so my first pregnancy, I had extra scans through the end of the second and third trimester. So instead of the three months and, what, five, six months as yeah. normal. I had three months, I think I had a four month. Oh no, oh sorry, I went five, six, seven months just to check that everything was, was fine and it was all really healthy. And actually my gynecologist with Isla, the first time that I went to see her was five months. And um, she said to me, going through a little checklist, and what's your job? And I said, marathon manager. Yeah, but you're not training. I said, well, actually, I've just come from the track this morning. Um, but I didn't do a hard session. She, she went crazy. You have to come back, and I have to measure the length of your cervix. And then she did all of that. Everything was fine. And at the end of the pregnancy, when I was in a hospital, I'd given birth, she actually came up to me, and she apologised, and she said, I'm really sorry I scared you, because actually now I'm going to tell all of my mothers who exercise to do that, because this baby's really healthy, and you've come through the pregnancy really really well so I'm really sorry that I scared you which I thought was really nice of her yeah to to do that and to take the time to do that so after 16 years your marathon record has finally been broken and by Bridget and there's some debate over the vaporfly shoes that she was wearing because of the carbon plates and the foam how do you how do you feel about somebody breaking breaking your record in shoes which didn't exist 16 years ago um, I'm actually quite balanced about it. I mean, what I would hate if somebody beat my record and they were cheating. That was what I really would hate. Um, but through the natural evolution and innovation of the sport, I don't think I have a problem with it um, because the shoes that I ran in were better than the shoes that Ingrid Christensen ran in back in 85. And the shoes that she ran in were peculiarly running no shoes in the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... That kind of evolution is there, and it's there in lots of things. The shirts that we wear are better. They wick more for a sweat away from us now. They're much more comfortable to run in. 
than they used to be. The rain gear that we wear now allows us to breathe while we're running instead of being inside a plastic bag. The tracks are better um, and enable people to run quicker. So I think that's what keeps the sport evolving. Otherwise, we might be stuck. That record might have stayed forever. And then the next generation's got nothing to aim for. So I actually, I don't think I do have a problem with it, especially when the shoes as they are, I think the other companies will catch up. And I think that's been the big issue, is that it's not available to everyone. When actually it is available to everyone if you go and buy it. And it's kind of a choice that you made, that we all made. You choose a sponsor that you're happy with and you go with them. And the others, I think, will catch up in time. And that, I guess, is one part of the new rules might, ironically, have actually made it harder for the other companies to catch up. So that I completely agree with. But what worries me and concerns me as well is the number of athletes from other companies latching onto this and starting to believe that they're beaten before they even start because of the shoes. And I don't really think it makes that much of a difference. I still think if you put your head down, train hard, you're still going to run fast, whatever shoes you wear. And the actual biggest difference for these shoes at the moment, for me, appears to be in the recovery, keeping your legs fresh at the end of the marathon. And the biggest time jump or improvement is for your kind of three to four hour marathoner whose legs feel fresher in the last 10k so you can keep the pace going better. But elite runners train to do that so they can do that better anyway. So I I kind of think it's been made into a a bigger issue than it is. And um, yeah, maybe it's allowing it to be used. That's my worry as well is that the whole thing can be used as a bit of a smoke screen for what people are really doing to get huge jumps in performance and we're not concentrating on that's why we should really be focusing we sadly are going to have to come to a close on this podcast which i really don't want to for having (laughs) such a good time and for everyone that's listening in a large percentage of the wildfire listeners are also training for a race it's not the olympics but it's probably their biggest race so it's like the olympics for them absolutely What's the one piece of advice which you would give them in leading up to race day? Oh, God, one piece. Yeah. I think my one piece would be to have that goal, to do everything that you can, to work hard and to put in the preparation towards that goal and then to enjoy it on the day because all you can do is give it your best shot and whatever happens, you should walk away proud of yourself and the effort that you've given. For everyone who wants to follow your journey this year, is there any runs which you're doing which they can come and be at or yeah, watch I mean, you at? you can come to Runfest Run I'm in Windsor, Great Park from the 22nd to 24th of May. Or we've also got a Families on Track event up in Durham in July, in Newcastle, I think in August, and in Worcester in September. Wow. So those events are rolling out. And then, yeah, I mean, usually if there's a running event going on, I'm running around somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> You're there. <laughs> Thank you so much for that chat. I know everyone that's listening in is going to be so thrilled that you've given up the time oh, no, to come great. on. Thank you. Um, guys... Please leave your comments in the review box on iTunes. Say thanks to Paula, say hi, and I will catch up with you all next week. A massive thank you to our sponsors of this bonus series of Run Chats, Brooks. Make sure you head to their website, www.brooksrunning.co.uk, to check out all their latest gear. It might just change the way you feel about running. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 